Does everybody have a bulletin? Because you're going to need the bulletin today, along with the paper that's inside. If you don't have both of those, please raise your hand, and somebody will put one in your hand real quick. I want you to have them. Look at that. The people that were here first practicing at 8.30 in the morning. They're probably here before the bulletins were out. Good to have you. We're going to get back into our series on the journey, following Jesus. What I hope happens during this journey is that we are encouraged to engage with Jesus and track with Him through His life, find out what He taught, and apply it to our lives. We started this in March, and then we took a three-week break for Easter. And then last week, Pastor Rod was here. I hope you enjoyed Pastor Rod. If you didn't get a chance to hear him, do what I did. I listened to it at our website. And uh, I got to hear the message. I appreciate his willingness to speak. I've been in touch with him uh, by email, but I've never met him personally. So I'm just delighted that he was here and that he could, he could share with us. But what Pastor Rod did for us is get us started in this journey with Jesus. You find that Jesus was baptized, and that's considered the time of the start of his ministry. And we're going to look at the next few days as far as what happened. And so, our message today will focus on the passage that that Ron read to us here. But if you're reading along on our journey, by the way, in your bulletin, that's why you need to have your bulletin, it lists the scripture for today and it lists next week. So you can read ahead if you want. If For today, we had a total of three chapters. John chapter 2, John chapter 3, John chapter 4. Um, unfortunately, we would need to postpone the 2 o'clock AFF meeting if I was to preach the whole way through those three chapters. So we'll not do that. We're only going to look at 11 verses. You have homework. In your groups, in your community groups, you can move on and look at what's in the remainder of chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4. But what we find is that in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is on the move. Now, people in Hong Kong know what it is to travel. You can't stay in Hong Kong too long. You're going to bump against the north border and need to go into China, or you're going to go out to the airport and travel to the Philippines or to Singapore, to Australia, to North America. You're always traveling someplace. If you're from here in Hong Kong, you've probably come from someplace to here. And so you're used to traveling, and you're going to find here that Jesus does some traveling. Now, you'll bring it up on your... Google Maps to find out where you're going. Unless you're going across the northern border, then you're going to need something else. But uh, I checked the maps and looked a little bit into where Jesus went. And I guess I better look at the other side because we have a shadow on that side. But uh, this is a map of the country of Israel. And uh, the wedding that Jesus uh, went to is at Cana. That's what uh, uh, Ron read to us. We'll find that he then moves down to Capernaum. This is his his home area along the Sea of Galilee. And then they come down along the Jordan River to Jerusalem. 
I want to tell you a little bit about Jerusalem because when you're reading about Jerusalem, it will say they went up to Jerusalem. To me, it looks like they went down to Jerusalem if the map is oriented north and south. You'll notice here that Jerusalem is at an elevation of 754 meters. That is about 200 meters higher than the peak. Okay? So it's higher than the peak. The other thing is, this is the Dead Sea. This is one of the lowest places on the planet. This is about 400 some meters below sea level. So when they're walking from here up to here, it is a hike. It's like climbing two mountains because they need to come out of the hole to get up there. So if you were anywhere on Hong Kong Island, along the perimeter of Hong Kong Island, Central, Wan Chai, Kennedy Town, Aberdeen, Stanley, I like Stanley, that's a good place, one of the first places I went here in Hong Kong. Um, if you're in any one of those places and you say you're going to the peak, you're going to say you're going up. And that's what they're doing. After Jerusalem, in chapter, in chapter uh, 2 and 3, uh, Jesus joins John the Baptist, baptizing along the Jordan River, and then we find him going to Sychar in Samaria. So Jesus is traveling about with his disciples. And we'll find that Jesus does a lot of travel going from the north to the south, from the lowlands to the highlands. His hometown is up near the Sea of Galilee. So when he's up there, he's kind of in home territory. When he comes down, he comes down to Jerusalem, the center of where uh, the Jewish religion is. That's where the temple is. And so I want to just just wanted you to see that. You can see that his hike is some 120 kilometers from Capernaum down to, or up to Jerusalem. And I think that's if you take the direct route. So they're walking all over the place. Something else that I want to point out to you, and I'm not sure how much of this you can actually see. Hopefully you can see the big colors. Because this helps put into perspective what happens in the four Gospels as they're talking about Jesus. Jesus' birth is here at the very beginning. That's 30 years before his ministry starts at this point. It's a three-year period of time to here, and then another three, four, five months to, to Jesus' death, and finally to his ascension. If you'd like this chart, send me an email, I'll send it to you. Or you can simply Google it, and I, I found it there too. But something that I want you to see, and this helps you as you're reading through your Gospels. Each color represents a different Gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As we read all four Gospels, we can put together the life of Christ. But if you read only one of them, there will be portions that are left out. The part that we read today came from John. There is nothing in Matthew, Mark, or Luke in these accounts. So when you start reading in 
Mark, very, in the very first chapter of Mark, you were already one year into Jesus' ministry. He has already gathered His first disciples and taught them their first lessons. It's amazing to see that Jesus' twelve disciples aren't fully in place until almost halfway through His ministry. When you understand the sequence and the timing of things, it helps us understand what we need to be doing in our lives because the things that happened at the beginning are there intentionally. We can follow that sequence. So this part that we're, we're looking at right here, the beginning weeks and months of His ministry, are recorded in John chapter 2, John chapter 3, and John chapter 4. So let's take a look at that. Let's, uh, let's see what happened. By the way, last week, Pastor Rod told you that the, uh, that Jesus started gaining disciples. Have you noticed that it talks about, it, it gives us an, an indication of the time. If you look at, you, you, if you have a Bible, you can keep it open to, to John. We'll be in John chapter 2 most of the time. But if you look back in John chapter 1, verse 35, it says, the next day. Jesus was baptized, and then the next day. Now, you're all great Bible scholars. What do you think it means when the Bible says the next day? It's the next day. <laughs> okay? So Jesus was baptized, and then the next day, He started getting His disciples. He challenged some of His disciples to follow Him. Uh, um, John and Andrew, um, uh, Cephas, uh, Simon, Cephas, and Peter are all the same person, different names for Him. Philip, then Philip told Nathaniel, and uh, we know from just a little bit in Matthew up here that James was also in there. So there's the five disciples that are listed in John, and also James joined them um, here at the very beginning. And Jesus had six disciples in two days. If you add up all the next days in there, we end up with two days. And so he, Jesus now has six of his disciples, and they start traveling. They're going to go someplace. Where does he go for the first trip? He goes to a wedding. This could be pretty exciting. Following Jesus, we're going to go to a party. We're going to go to a wedding. But I can just see some of these fishermen that have left their boats, and they're following Jesus. I, I don't have the right clothes. I'm not ready to go. Do you think they'll take me? Well, I'm not sure what the weddings were like then, but uh, um, it had to be an exciting time. They did last almost a whole week, seven days for their weddings. And uh, so it says that on the third day, the wedding happens. What happened the third day after you became a believer in Jesus Christ? Were you starting to get lessons and learning from Jesus? Jesus isn't waiting around here. He's not taking any time. On the third day, He introduces them to their first major lesson that we have recorded in the Bible. It's a wedding ceremony. 
Jesus' mother, Mary, was probably close to the family. And it was an important cultural thing that the family provide for the guests of the wedding. I'm not sure if they expected Jesus to show up with six extra guests. But they're there. And Mary, Jesus' mother, is quite concerned because the wine has run out. I'm not sure the whole conversation that went on. I'm not sure what all of that means. But Jesus says, just have the servants follow my instructions. Get these large water jars, 20 or 30 gallons, 4 liters to a gallon. Figure it out. Um, These were large water jars. And then have the servants dip into those jars or pour those jars out. And what will come out will be the best wine that they've ever had. It's amazing. It's truly a miracle. From water to wine. That can't happen. But it did. It's truly a miracle. And God's Word tells us that this was the first miracle that Jesus performed. It was... Three days into his ministry. Three days. And he does this miracle. There are only eight miracles recorded in the book of John. This miracle is only recorded in John. Well, John's the only one recording this part in the, in the Gospels. There are 37 miracles recorded in all four Gospels. So this is one of eight for John, one of 37 for all four gospel writers. And it is truly a miracle. But we find out something else as we go on through this story. Oh, by the way, I want to tell you, just so that you're you're looking, hopefully you have your notes and you're finding this. I saw once this got printed... There are the official uh, blanks that you're supposed to fill in. Okay? I can tell you what those words are. Matter of fact, they'll be up on the screen. However, when this printed out, there seems to be some other mystery blanks. (laughs) Um, I'll let you work on those. Um, I checked them on my computer again. They're they're on my computer. But uh, somehow it got there. So this will be a little bit more interesting and challenging than what you might uh, originally have thought. But uh, I think you can figure it out um, once you, you get it up there on the screen. Um, so this is the, this is the, first, uh, the first blank. Um, what we find in here is that Jesus was intentional about his sequence and methods of ministry. As we look at the life of Christ, nothing happened by accident. It was very intentional. John is the gospel writer that helps us understand this the most. A number of times through the book of John, he will say this hour. Let me, let me read some of those to you. In John chapter 7, people tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. 
Jesus was speaking while he was teaching in the temple courts near a place where the offerings were put. And no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. It doesn't mean literally the 60-minute time frame. It's the time in his life. Jesus replied in, in chapter 12, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then at the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world. And after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. John is using this for us to understand that Jesus knew the sequence that was going on. The things that he was doing were intentional. Jesus lived on a heavenly timetable marked out for him by the Father. Jesus was willingly obedient to the Father. So I want to look at this and and stop here for just a little bit and say, what are the implications for us? What does this mean for us that Jesus had a timetable? First of all, I want you to note that the Gospels are not just a random sequence of stories that somebody threw together. Sometimes we, we don't catch how things are interconnected and there's a flow to it. There's a sequence to them. There's a flow to them. There's something that Jesus was intentionally doing. So while each story, and by the way, when I say story, Story, I don't mean that that's like a make-believe story. Once upon a time, long, long time ago, there was... Okay, it's not that kind of story. It's an account. It's a retelling. We typically use the word story for that, so I use it here, but I don't mean it to demean what the gospel is. Each story has something that we can learn from it. You can take a single verse or a single paragraph or a portion of a chapter and say, what does this have to say to me? What can I learn from it? And you can take a paragraph and sometimes get 10, 12, 20, 30 different things that you can learn from there. And that's fantastic. But the whole flow of it also communicates a story. You see, Jesus intentionally ordered the events of his life and ministry to flow towards the calling and purpose of his life. Sometimes we want to know what we're called for. What is God calling you and me and our church to do? When we know that calling... When we know how God has given us gifts, spiritual gifts, when we know how He's given us abilities, it helps direct us so that we can focus on the direction that God is calling us in our life. And Jesus demonstrated this by where He was going. Something else that we see is that we can learn from the order, sequence, and methods Jesus intentionally used in how we grow as disciples. What were the lessons that Jesus taught his disciples? There's a lesson out of this turning water to wine. 
This is not just a random act. This is something that Jesus intentionally did to show his disciples an important lesson. And I find it very interesting that it was the first lesson. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But as we have a chance to be discipled in our lives, what were the lessons and somewhat what was the order of those lessons? I'm not going to stick hard and fast to them, you know, that this must be first and this must be second. But generally speaking, what was going on with his disciples? And as we intentionally pour ourselves into someone else to disciple them, these are some of the lessons that we can teach also. And so I wonder what the purpose of this miracle was. We could come up with a lot of things. This miracle certainly helped Mary save face. Somehow she was intimately and intricately involved in this wedding, and they were out of wine by about the third day. And mom had some concerns. And so that could be the purpose of it. Maybe it was to show that when Jesus does something, it's better than anyone else. Do you notice? Jesus' wine was better than the rest. That Jesus brand, you know? It turned out better. And when Jesus does something, it is good. And that's certainly a lesson that we can learn. Was it to honor the importance of marriage that Jesus takes on his third day of ministry? He takes the time to go to a wedding. I've heard this passage of Scripture shared many times in a wedding. And marriage is something honored by God. And Jesus puts his stamp on it here. And that's something we can learn. Maybe it's to show that if we follow Jesus' instruction, good things will happen. And I think that's a good lesson for us to learn. We should follow Jesus' instructions. And when we do, good things will happen. Maybe even miracles. But I wonder, is there more? You see, one of the things that we find John doing in his gospel, one of the things that's different about his gospel than some of the others, is he not only records the events and the facts, the things that happened. Here we have Jesus going to a wedding. He turned water into wine. Facts. Okay? It happened but he also digs deeper into the implications and meaning of it. And if you look at the last verse, verse 11, we catch John doing that again. The purpose of the miracle, according to John 2.11, is he thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Of all the other lessons we can learn, this is the one that John points out. And so when I started seeing that, I saw Jesus is taking his disciples on this journey. It's the third day. They go to a wedding. 
Jesus turns water into wine, and his disciples saw Jesus' glory. However, that created a problem for me. That would mean that now I have to define the word glory for you. I have to understand what glory means. I have to come up with a definition of glory. Can you do it? What does glory mean? What does it mean that they saw he revealed his glory? We have it in our AIC mission statement. You've seen this before. It's in your bulletin. You take it home with you. Glorifying God by loving Christ, loving one another, and reaching the world. It's a part of our language, but what does it mean to glorify Christ? Sometimes it helps if you know another language. Some of you can probably do this, but you can look up the translation. You can look up how it's translated in another language. Um, I don't have that, so I went to the Amplified Bible. And you know there's different ways that different words get translated sometimes. And the NIV uses one word, the, uh, another translation uses another word. The Amplified uses all of them. There's choices there. And so we see this, the first of his signs, which means attesting miracles, Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee. Okay, we understand that. And revealed his glory, brackets, displaying his deity and his great power openly. Jesus displayed that he was God. And he displayed his great power openly. Okay, I'm starting to understand it a little more. Glory is the display of God's power in Jesus. But I kept digging, and I found a reliable source. John Piper talks about worship and the glory of God many times. And so I wanted to see what John Piper had to say. I was a little bit discouraged. He said, defining the glory of God is impossible. Uh, no, don't put that one up yet. <laughs> um, we're going to get there. Defining the glory of God is impossible. I say because it is more like the word beauty than the word basketball. If somebody says, I've never heard of a basketball, you could describe that basketball to them. But if I say the word beauty, you have a little harder problem. Let's try it. All of you find somebody seated next to you. Take 30 seconds and describe a basketball. Okay? Go ahead, turn to them 30 seconds, and then I'm going to turn it around, and you're going to do beauty. But You have it on your phone? Okay, now change. Describe the word beauty. Okay, when you got to basketball, you probably said it's something about this big around. 
It has a lot of air in it. It bounces good. We can throw it and make baskets. You might describe the game. Okay? I heard Anita over here laughing. <laughs> she was saying to her husband, I don't know what she said, but I think she was saying, just look at me. <laughs> You see, beauty is more of a concept. And you can go out and recognize it, but oftentimes it's hard to describe. Somebody might describe a sunset. Somebody might describe a beautiful stream or a waterfall. Somebody might describe a person or some flowers. Because when you see beauty, you know it. And that's somewhat like the glory of God. And what John Piper ended up saying after his many paragraphs of saying how hard it is, he says, this is my attempt. The glory of God is the manifest beauty of His holiness. It is the going public of His holiness. It is letting us see the character of God. We have many words that describe the character of God. You've seen word pictures like this. And they can have many, many, many words. My wife was teaching a sixth grade Sunday school class one place. And she decided that for an entire year, she was going to have a poster in the room. And every week, they were going to list a characteristic of God. For 52 weeks, they did it. Different words every week, describing the character of God. And so in one way, we can understand holiness. We can understand the characteristics of God. Glory is those characteristics being shown for all of us to see. And so the disciples saw that God is almighty, God is supreme, God is everlasting through this miracle at the wedding. And so the disciples got to see that. They went from the visible to the invisible, from the tangible to the intangible, from the seen to the unseen, from what was just a concept to having it become a reality. And that's why I think Jesus did this miracle. His first lesson on day three is for them to see who he was and understand his power, his majesty, and his might. And thank you, worship team. I gave you a hard task. I gave you the task of leading us in this song. And by the way, on your handout, it's on the back. All five verses, they had it here. Albert Simpson is the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance. We're a part of that. We're an extension of the work that, that came from him. Albert Simpson wrote hundreds of hymns. He used hymns to teach his congregation theology. Unfortunately, only a few of the hymns are easy to sing. The words are fantastic. 
And that's why I included them there for you, because you see some of this tension and some of this struggle that we have going on in our own hearts, and I think it's what the disciples had. Once it was the blessing, now it is the Lord. Once it's the feeling, now it's His Word. Once His gift I wanted, now the giver. Once I sought the healing, now Himself alone. I didn't put all five verses up here for you. But I put this one up because I think it fits here in Hong Kong. Once twas busy planning. We're good at that. Now it's trustful prayer. Once twas anxious caring. Now he has the care. Once twas what I wanted. Now what Jesus says. Once twas constant asking. Now. It's ceaseless praise. Do you see the difference? Do you see what's going on? The disciples went from just wanting to follow Jesus and figure out who He is to understanding who He is in His glory. And that brought Him to the place of following Jesus. And so how do we learn this first lesson? The first choice that we need to make if we're going to see God's glory is to follow Jesus, just as his six disciples, his first six disciples did. We need to decide that we're going to follow Jesus. These disciples left their fishing business behind and followed Jesus. Something else that I find is when we decide to follow, we have to go with Him. And do you know who gets to pick where you go? Jesus gets to pick where you go. That's pretty cool. they got to go to a wedding at the beginning here. But Jesus took them to this wedding. And they went accompanying him to do things that only could be done through the power of God. If we're going to say, I'm following Jesus, and we're going to go someplace where I can do it all under my own power, I'm not going to see the glory of God. You're going to get to see the glory of Stan. And I can only do so much. We need to go with Jesus someplace where we can see God's glory. So practically speaking, what does this mean? How do we do it? How do we go with Jesus? Well, I think seeing God's glory leads us to worship, and that's why we include music ministry in with our worship time. Do you remember when the disciples saw the transfiguration when Jesus and two prophets from the Old Testament were present, what did they do? They wanted to build altars and worship. Worship is music, but it's so much more. It's lending all of our abilities to honor God, our time, our talents, our personality, our resources, our lives. 
And we see this story played out time and time again in the Bible. When did Bible characters see the glory of God? Think about Moses. I think he saw the glory of God at the burning bush. There's a bush that's burning, and it didn't burn up. How old was Moses at that time? He was 80 years old. He spent 80 years doing it his way. The first 40 years, he was in Egypt. He came up with a plan. He killed somebody. And then he had to go out in the wilderness for 40 years. Take care of his father-in-law's sheep. Doing it his way didn't work. He saw the glory of God and God said something supernatural is going to happen. Moses met the I am that I am. And what did he do for the next 40 years, the last 40 years of his life? He spent it helping the people of Israel know who God is. I see that when we know the glory, when we see the glory of God, it takes us to steps of great faith, which took me to Hebrews chapter 11. And I read through there and I underlined things in my Bible and I saw that every single person listed did something. Not to gain their salvation, but because of their salvation. And they saw the glory of God. Abel offered a better sacrifice. Enoch was commended for pleasing God. Noah built an ark. Abraham obeyed and went someplace. Isaac blessed Jacob. Jacob blessed Joseph's son. Joseph spoke to the situation in Egypt. Moses' parents hid him. Moses left Egypt. Rahab welcomed the spies. Gideon, Barak, Samson, David, Samuel, and the prophets conquered, administered, uh, administered justice, and gained a promise. Every single one of them, their faith drove them to action because they saw the glory of God. And I want to update Hebrews chapter 11 a little bit because last week I had the tremendous opportunity to be with 26 other people who saw the glory of God. They put themselves in a place that was beyond their comfort zone to do something that only God could do. And each one of them saw God in that event as they said yes to God. What did they do? Well, I have a partial list, and I don't have all 26 listed here, but Doug administered the details. Tracy, we had two Tracys. Tracy taught a class, and another Tracy did crafts. Mark consulted on a future project. Hannah helped the teachers. Timothy helped children do projects. Mary Ann planned a lesson. Timothy captured video. Twinkie gathered materials. Eric was an energetic song leader. Sandra taught children. James painted. Victor overcame computer problems. Annie found creative crafts. Richard led small groups. Annie 
taught our theme song. Do you see what's going on? When you place yourself in a position of following Jesus and going where Jesus wants you to go, you have the opportunity to see the glory of God. And it changes your life. The key is to be in the place where God is at work. Join Him and see His glory. And so that's where I want to leave you. I want to leave you there because you see, this message of the, of the, the, the wedding, turning the water to wine, has many small stories, many small lessons that we can learn along the way. But are you willing to stay there with just the good wine? Or are you ready to grasp hold of Jesus in all His glory? The key place is join God in what He's doing. Join Him and you will see His glory. Now I know that all of you can't go to the Philippines and minister to kids in the church there. We were at about our max for the number of people we could have there. It was good. But you can serve where God calls you to. You can serve with your family. You can serve in your community. You can serve here. If you need some help finding ideas, King, raise your hand. See that man, he'll help connect you with an opportunity. I want to let you know too, there are opportunities at AIC. How many of you teach children on some basis here? Thank you, thank you. There's a number of them upstairs right now doing that. We have an opportunity this summer during the months of July and August. There's nine Sundays. We uh, want to invite you to participate. We're going to use the same material that we used in the Philippines here during the month of July. You want to see what happened? We can get you involved. And so, uh, let's see, are there... By the way, we have some phenomenal people here. There are four people who have become a part of the children's leadership team in Melissa Rose's absence. Um, Linda, Erida, Anita, and Twinkie. If you're here, would you, would you just stand up? I want people to see who you are. Twinkie's up teaching right now. Anita, are you the... Oh, okay, Erida's here. Good, good. I want you to see who these people are. Because if you want to get involved, this can be on a one Sunday basis or a nine Sunday basis or anything in between. If you want to get involved in touching children's lives, you can do it here in Hong Kong. You can do it here in Wampo. See one of these people or Twinkie left a paper on the back where you can uh, sign up or Twinkie's contact information is in here. By the way, if you contact Twinkie soon, you'll have your choice of Sundays. <laughs> if you wait a week or two, the Sunday that you want may be already taken. So I'd encourage you to contact her this week and say, I'm available for these three Sundays. Sign me up. What can I do? Put yourself in a place 
where you can be used by God and you will see God at work. The challenge, I want to ask you, are you willing to just stop at the miracle? Or will you seek to see God's glory and do what the disciples did and put your faith in Him? God is good. Let's pray.